0: Welcome to Inspiring Leaders, the podcast that shares ideas, perspectives, and best practices from great leaders around the world to help you become a more inspired leader. Welcome and hello, I'm your host, Terry Lepofsky from Ubiquity Executive Coaches, and it's great to welcome you back to the Inspiring Leaders Show. Yes, we're continuing on our mission to make inspiring leadership ubiquitous, because let's face it, look around us today, uh, this week, this month, I think we can all agree the world needs a lot more leaders that are worth following. And, you know, to that end, I want to share a quick story with you uh, based on some of my own experience. It was a bunch of years ago I witnessed what I would consider to be a fairly brutal situation during a department meeting that I was in and, and attending. One of my colleagues had just finished presenting her plan for the upcoming quarter. And as soon as she had finished, another colleague piped up and said, and I quote, Should we expect the same crappy results that your team delivered last quarter? Well, needless to say, it shocked everybody in the boardroom. You could have heard a pin drop. It didn't end up very well. That incident stayed with me. It shocked me at the time, and it remains very appalling to me. I've always wondered what would cause someone to attack their colleague with a a credibility attack like that in front of their colleagues in what should be a professional environment. Shouldn't we all have the right to expect a reasonable amount of psychological safety? Well, that, my friends, is what we are here to talk about today. Our guest today has devoted 20 years of her career To education with a very keen interest in how diversity, group processes, and dynamics can be structured and integrated in ways that enrich learning and performance. Her work focuses on building constructive team behaviors in decision-making, problem-solving, communication, boundary crossing, and conflict management. I'm telling you, I wish that she was part of that meeting back several years ago that I had talked about already. This is exactly the kind of expertise that we want here on the Inspiring Leaders podcast. We want to talk about psychological safety, and I am so thrilled to welcome to the show Laura Jansen. Laura, welcome. Glad to have you here.
1: Thanks, Terry. It's great to be here, and it's great to have this opportunity to be talking about something that... I believe is relevant for anyone who works with anyone, anywhere. So uh, I'm really hoping uh, this talk is going to shed some light on a very, very important topic.
0: Folks, if you are joining us as part of our live broadcast today, we're live streaming on YouTube and on LinkedIn. Feel free to throw uh, the uh, hit that old like button. Uh, Hit the heart button, uh, throw your comments up if you're interested in having your voice heard, if you've got questions. Um, Of course, we want to encourage that. We want this to be an interactive program. So, Laura, as I said, so great to have you. We're here to talk about um, creating psychological safety and just psychological safety in general. Uh, This is really such a really important topic. But before we get into that, I wanted to ask you this. Um, I was wondering where your motivation has come from. So who or what inspires Laura?
1: Um, I I was thinking about this question, Terry, before, and I'm like, I I couldn't shake the image of myself being a six-year-old, or maybe I was eight, on a playground at school. And I remember children running around all over the place, and me, I must have yelled out, like, we're going all over here. And there was a whole group like rushing from one end to the, of the playground to another end, and I remember it so vividly because it was that moment when I realized, hey, there's all this dynamics going on around me, and I'm able to influence that. I'm able to steer it. Now I can't remember if I put that to good use or not, but it did become it did become <laughs> it did a, a, a red line in my career was the fascination uh, with group dynamics, and how can we steer it in a way that benefits us? How can we actually make it um, beneficial that we are putting people in groups, right? How can we make it work for us, especially when it goes to team learning? So that's been really uh, the part that's been inspiring me to figure that out.
0: Yeah, it's kind of empowering, isn't it, to realize that... um what's happening around you, how people are feeling, uh what they're focused on, um what they're, you know, what they may be uh diluted with or diverted their attention with. Uh you can actually have an impact on that.
1: Exactly. And I think we one of and and this talk is like many others, like it's so often that we talk about leaders and leadership and uh and and focus on that part and maybe not enough on and that part is like, who who is it that we're leading and talk with those groups? We're leading teams, we're leading groups, and we make them into groups for a reason. Everybody has something different to offer. We understand that that makes a team powerful because of those differences. But power, as is the case with power, can be destructive as much as it can be constructive. And Dealing with differences is yet the one thing that people tend to find very, very, very difficult. The way I view my world can be very different from how you view the world. And who's right then? And we're just not very skilled in bridging that in constructive ways. And this is when psychological safety becomes very important. If we don't have those skill sets, we try it in ways that tend to be very destructive. And it it really creates a dynamic where you, you end up, Um, using ways that that can damage the team and the team performance. And it's only becoming more and more challenging. Uh, There's so much buzz around uh, themes like inclusivity, diversity, psychological safety, that these team dynamics, these team dialogues are becoming more sensitive, not less sensitive. Psychological safety is really about having the tough conversations. So, how easy for you is it for you to bring up a concern or to say I disagree or I see it differently? And that's becoming harder, not easier. So, you know, I think um, <clears throat>
0: very- I was going to say. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say. You know, um, one of the things that I I find a li- I have to admit it I find it kind of disheartening that. um, there are so many, this is happening way too often. We've got, um, people who are subject to unhealthy and in some cases, toxic workplaces. Uh, you know, we did a series of shows here on the inspiring leaders podcast. Um, a couple of years ago, my, uh, my brother, Pat Lapovsky and I both, um, teamed up and we did a series of, I think it was, uh. 7 shows about um uh dealing with intolerable bosses but it's not just the boss it's the colleagues it's the way that they're interacting and the way i see it is that look we spend a lot of time at work right this is a big chunk of our life never mind our day um and i think that it stands to reason that if we're spending that much time at any activity We shouldn't have to go into this with battle gear on. We should have some, at least sense of, um, of safety that we're not going to be attacked. Um, we're not, we're not going to be jumped on just because our views are different or, um, you know, something that we've said. So this I think is, is gotta be one of the key things that erodes a healthy culture anybody out there who's talking about the culture of their organization. If this isn't on your radar folks, this really does need to be. So this is why I think, you know, you become an expert in this. You truly have looked into this, studied it, been part of it, consulted with this. Um, You know what you're talking about when it comes to this topic. And um, so I love where you're going with this already. Um, Let's dig into this a little bit more, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, and and just to build on on what you were just saying, is like, before it gets to that extreme, as the example that you just mentioned, there's so much that has happened before that moment, before that extreme behavior. Uh, I was just watching 60 Minutes the other day about Frances Hogan, the Facebook whistleblower, and, you know, I wrote it down. She literally said something like, I know what would happen if I kept trying to fix this from the inside, I've seen it. Person after person after person has tried to tackle this and has ground themselves to the ground. So psychological safety and the frustration that that we hear about and that results ultimately in whistleblowing or extreme behavior or sabotage at some points even, or toxic work cultures, they all start with small fish before they become big sharks. And if we can recognize them when there's still small little fish swimming around as leaders, and we can actually deal with it appropriately, then it won't turn out into a big, uh, big shark damaging our teams and damaging, uh, our performance, or at least not achieving our collective, uh, potential.
0: So we, the leaders out there, A, this needs to be on their radar and B, they need to be very vigilant for this sort of activity.
1: Yes, and they, you need to be able to recognize it when it's small. So maybe like to, to really help visualize that, I, uh, I think I sent you a picture that might be good to, to bring up.
0: Oh, absolutely. I love this one. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Let me get this up here. Um, by the way, I don't know where you got this photo, but brilliant. Just love it. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about this.
1: Well, like uh, I would love to have you uh, kind of describe what you see here.
0: Yeah, good point Laura because um you know most of the people who are going to tune into the Inspiring Leaders podcast a big chunk of them anyway uh will be listening by audio. So what we're looking at folks is um we've got an image here and uh what do we have about uh five or six meerkats and they're they're all um one behind the other so their heads are one on top of the other um all on the left-hand side of this image. And then they're all looking directly at the camera and there's another one on the uh, side of them and it's turned around looking the other way.
1: Exactly. And and the way you described it uh, says a lot already, because when you looked at this picture, you didn't say there's a whole group of meerkats right, you, you immediately saw it was divided in two. And this is what happens with teams too. A lot of times there's a dominant part of the team and there's a minority, and that can switch all the time. Doesn't need to be the same people, It can depend on a decision that needs to be uh, made or a problem they're actually discussing. Yeah. But this is represents the majority of the team or the dominant part of the team and a minority, the outlier, someone who thinks differently about something right now this is what happens with, with groups you have to understand that people are social beings and that we have primary needs one of our primary needs is safety being accepted by the group is something that really gives us a sense of survival being a meerkat and wandering off on your own in in a in a, uh, in a Savannah is not a good idea right you don't you make yourself very very vulnerable we right. need the acceptance of the group so as soon as there's a split force, as uh, when there's disharmony, that becomes threatening, and it asks for a reaction. The if we don't do this very consciously, the normal, the common reaction of the majority or the dominant part of the group is becomes uh, one of rejection,
0: right? Or mm-hmm.
1: they start to make fun of that person. They start to coax them into like, let Dave, let's call him Dave. Dave, turn around, like. Everybody needs to be on the same page here, right? They start to try to control it and uh, really, really put them in that position. If you don't turn around, you're putting yourself even more into a vulnerable position. The outlier, Dave, in this case, also comes with a reaction. He's gonna comply and turn around, but yet he might still really want to turn around. It, that hasn't changed for him, but he needs to survive.
0: Mm-hmm. He
1: might feel indifferent about what the group is gonna do now because that was not where he was wanna go, uh, where he wanted to go to. He might be extremely cautious at this point. So these are the group dynamics that you tend to see when there's a dominant part and there's an outlier, right? And when you have a team that's not very psychologically safe, this is what we tend to see. And here's a team that is psychologically safe and that's what they're gonna do different. Instead of rejecting or making fun or start gossiping or trying to coax Dave in turning around and being part of the group so it seems like there's harmony again, they would ask Dave a question. They would ask Dave, Dave, what is it you see? Because maybe Dave is seeing a predator in the high grass lurking at them, a risk that none of them had seen. Or maybe Dave is seeing the water that they've been craving for weeks. and Really the whole survival of the group depends on it. So because Dave is positioned differently, he has valuable information that could be vital for the group's survival and performance. He right. sees risks, he sees opportunities, no one else does. And all the group needs to do is ask the question, what is it you see? And that doesn't happen enough. We don't ask the people who come in with a view that we don't expect, that we don't want to hear, why is it you think that? Explain it. What is it you're thinking? What is it you're concerned about?
0: I and really it- like this. I th- I think, um, you know, this is such a, a, a great topic, and I love the way that you put it is, Just changing the way that we interact with that situation when somebody appears to have a different perspective, appears to be focused on something different than the group. I think a lot of us um, are unaware of just how much our thoughts are influenced by what's going on around us. And for a group, um, they're not really conscious of the fact that their, their thinking is being influenced by the group thinking by what's happening within that group. So this can very quickly spiral out of control. Uh, you and I talked a little earlier about, um, about um, you, you, we are talking about safety needs and Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Can we, do you want to bring that up? And we'll, uh, we'll yeah, chat absolutely. a little bit about that. Okay, yeah. let me just, uh, let's see. I'm going to bring in, uh, still fumbling with the old uh, technology on this one. Let's bring this one up and I'll put you and I in here a uh, better size. So yeah, this is exactly what we were talking about. Of course, we are going to need the physiological um, needs in, in order to survive, right? Air, food, water, shelter, all that good stuff. Um, but really what we're talking about here, are the next levels, they're, they're so basic. They're so basic that, that um, a lot of the, the growth needs you know, like uh, our, our ability to think things through, our uh, our our willingness to commit and be held accountable, um, our willingness to participate. A lot of that is going to get stifled and can't even manifest unless we have that psychological safety. Correct.
1: Yeah spot on like you you, like there are two primary needs that really prevalent in teams and one is to improve and perform and learn and progress it's already there as a leader you don't need to create it you just need to foster it but the the thing we need to realize is that none of that is going to happen optimally if the safety of the people isn't there and psychological safety is as real as can be it really does what it can be as strong as you standing across from me and, and with a knife. That's how really could feel, that threat of not being accepted by the group. And that's important to realize because often we hear things like, well, you should just speak up. If you have a concern, just say it, right? Well, that's spoken from the, the dominant part of the group. If you think about the meerkats again, the, the dominant part of the group doesn't need to have fear for their safety. You don't even feel that fear so they can say something like that. But if someone's standing across from you with a knife, would you really be so able to express your concerns at that moment? Probably not. Right. So it needs to be the leader's responsibility, seeing that's a, the part of the most dominant part of the group, to create an environment that makes it easy for people that are in a hard spot. And disagreeing or seeing things differently than a majority of the group is a hard spot to be in
0: interesting as we're looking at this um so folks for those who are listening we've actually got maslow 's hierarchy of needs up on the screen right now uh physiological needs at the bottom what i 'm really focused on here is uh these deficiency needs there are four of them at the bottom, and unless those are met, then you can't get to the growth needs but as i'm looking through these. It's really three of the four below that that line between deficiency and growth needs. Three of the four are really what we're talking about here. If you're uh, in the example that I used at the outset of somebody who's being attacked in the boardroom, obviously there's a security thing. There's Their amygdala is just, you know, that fire alarm internally is just going off. Um, I'm being attacked or things are not going my way. Somebody's jumping down my throat. Then there's the belonging need, the social need that's not there. The the judgments that are happening from everybody around. And on top of that, there are the esteem needs that are not being met. So really what's going on is we're, we're really stifling people's ability to participate and um, be active, valued members of the group if um if this type of behavior is going on,
1: yes exactly, and we're fortunately, we're at a point where we realize that emotions and 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 relationships are a real part of decision making. And performance we got to that point now we have that understanding it's not like the old days where yeah that should be left at home you know you're here to do your work we understand that emotions and relationships are part of our work are part of decision making and like you said if we don't feel safe we tend to not make the best decisions because we actually can't think straight neurologically uh, our prefrontal cortex is shutting down at that moment
0: Right. Yeah. The brain gets flooded with cortisol and uh, shuts down the functioning of the okay. logic and, um, uh, trust and all of those lovely things that happen uh, right behind our forehead. So yeah, this is, this is very useful. And I think that, um, it's good that we've got this kind of, um, that sort of guidance system for us to take a look back. By the way, my, um, College psychology professor, Dr. Sussman, would be very proud of me that I remembered what Maslow had to say about needs. So uh, I'll I'll have to ping him at one point in time and uh, um, let him know that I actually did pay attention in Psychology 101. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I know that we've got a couple other things to say about this, but I also know you and I talked a little earlier about... Uh, this usual question, which I have for our guests, which is advice that they might be able to offer. But I, I know from our conversation before, you're you came preloaded with advice for us, with tips, suggestions. Should we get into that now, or, or are there other? I'd love to. Okay, let's let's talk about that. Let's uh, let's get into this whole thing about um, what can we do um, from your expertise, your your travels uh the consulting that you do what advice can you offer us so that we can become better leaders
1: i think it's a great question and i even see some questions coming up that hint to that too how can we observe it how can we see it how can we measure it i think that's a really relevant question because anything out there that talks about psychological safety read anything watch anything it will come to that question how can we change it and it standard, it will give you uh, advice like be curious, um, um, ask the questions, admit to your mistakes, um, you know, make sure you do your round and include everyone. And it's all great. It's not that it's not true, because those are the things we need to start doing and doing more of. The thing is, when you walk into your boardroom and you're about to do your job, that all goes out of the window. You're focused on your task. You're focused on your meeting, your finances, the numbers, the things that need to get done. And you don't really are able to change something that you can't really observe in your day-to-day dialogue. But that's where it happens. It happens in the words we choose to use. Um, And and a great example of that that I often highlight is David Elmer talks about it in his book, Leadership is Language. I can highly recommend it for anyone out there who's interested. And he talks about El Faro. El Faro was a container ship in 2015 that was on its way from Florida to Puerto Rico. And just before they left, the captain got a text message saying, weather doesn't look good. And the answer was, we're good. The captain said, we're good. At that moment, he decided we're going the normal route and we're going for it. And he did. Yeah. There were two decision points on that route where he could take a detour and be sheltered from a storm if it would become really bad, right? They didn't take those detours. Two times in a row, decided not to take the detour, even though weather was getting worse and worse and was changing into a, a Category 3 hurricane. Oh, no. El, El Faro came to 30 miles of the eye of the storm, and it sank, and they lost 33 people. Everyone Gosh. on board was experienced. Now, why am I telling the story here? It's because they actually found what would be a black box, I guess, in, in, in an air crash, where they could find transcripts of 25 hours of discussions that took place before the ship sank. And they were able to transcribe the language that was used. And they found that a lot of the words and the phrases that the leader, the captain was saying, were things like, these novices want to stop for every single weather pattern, or I've been sleeping like a baby, or it's just a typical winter day, or uh, we'll just have to tough this one out in all the language he was using there was no space no no curiosity towards any of the other experienced members that is first mate or third mate to find out okay should we reassess right should we at this first point where we could take a detour reassess come together and say i'm not sure about this one what do you think just changing his questioning could have saved 33 people's lives and it also goes to show That people are willing to risk their lives rather than stand up to a captain and say, we're heading for a storm, a category three hurricane where we need to turn around. We need to take the detour. So if you want to change psychological safety, language that we use is a really tangible way to start with because we can measure it and we can observe it. And often like when I deal with teams, I I really, we actually, with Radical, we transcribe it, we do an analysis, and we can actually see who's talking, who's not talking, what are they saying, and what's the impact. We tend to think of what we intend with our words, but we don't really watch if that's the impact it has on the team. If I ask a question, uh, does that make sense? Then I'm just looking for affirmation. I'm just looking for you to say yes or no.
0: Yeah, my normal right. answer to that would be of course, because I of don't want to I, I don't want to appear yes. to be stupid and or something, right? Exactly. Yeah.
1: And that's what I would want you to say. It's not asking you for your thoughts. Whereas if I would change that sentence into, what would be a concern if we go this way? Then I get a, a real answer. I really and you too need to are being triggered to think about it. Okay, what would be a concern if we do this? right? So changing our language can be a real tangible way to, uh, figure out where you stand with psychological safety and how you could potentially change it.
0: Uh, I've got, uh, this is a perfect opportunity. This discussion right here. Um, we've got a couple of comments that I'd like to bring in Rob Dubay, um, who's watching via LinkedIn. Um, he had a two part question here. And so Rob asks, um, how do we observe psychological safety and its effects? And there should be a dot, dot, dot here. How do we observe psychological safety and its effects? The second part is to measure it so that we can point to it and say it's good. Right. So how do you, so really, how is it that we can observe it so that we can measure it?
1: So with the company I work for, like we actually do this. We, we, you could take any uh, constructive team meeting, record it, transcribe it. We hold it to a framework where we can see uh, what parts of language were really supporting psychological safety within that meetings and what parts were really damaging the level of psychological safety. And we can visualize that in, into a report so you can really see it. But you could do it as simply as recording your own team meeting sitting down and watching it because what happens when you watch it you for the first time it starts to shift the focus from what others do and how it impacted you to what you're doing so when we're like having a talk like this it's almost it's really hard for me not to look at myself we have a fascination it's it's like that for everyone with ourselves so when we're watching a video that's where our eyes go and we for the first time hear ourselves talk but we also see how others respond and we yeah. notice a lot of things just by doing that so that would be one thing i really really want uh if you're if you if you agree with me that this is a really important thing to have in your team and to build on it's it's start with that
0: well i i want to build on this because we got another comment in here that i think takes this to another level but i think it's along the same line Lucille Osai. Um, also from LinkedIn. She's a coach that's aligned with our our team at Ubiquity. She's also a communications expert. She teaches MBA students. She teaches uh, corporations, executives, um, coaches them. But I love this question. How do we deal with toxic bosses or leaders? You know, you use the example of uh, Facebook and the whistleblower that's in the news right now. This is somebody that has openly said it's so many people have tried before to raise these issues and they keep getting shot down. So I like what you just talked about with the fact that if you're recording a meeting, whether, you know, video or audio and then getting the transcription back later on, this is perhaps a really good of getting a way of getting that objective information to say who's dominating the conversation. But this, uh, Lucille's question, I think takes it a little further. What if we're dealing with those people that um, are in a in a kind of a hard to call out way, they're, they're calling people down. They're um, passive-aggressive behavior is really undermining the psychological safety of some of their teammates?
1: It's, it's a great question. I wish I had the complete answer <laughs> to that. I'll do my very best uh, to, to give some yeah, insight. Yeah, we may not
0: have enough time for this one today. No, but this it's, is a a really,
1: it's a really relative point. If you think back about the meerkats, the dominant part of the group is um, you can assume that most people want to do their jobs well. And if they find out that one of their employees is, is actually not performing properly, your team can't perform properly, right? It's a message for the whole team. Right. Then they, they should be open to go into a conversation. But there are also people in that dominant part of the group that like that position and are very reluctant to let go of that position because they're good. Right. In fact, having an outlier can actually strengthen their position in that group as, 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 as the one to control it. Right. Control is a form of having clarity like it, it, it's like I, it's going in a direction that I want to go into. It's also a, a safety need in many ways. So what happens with with a group dynamics is like you you have a line of sabotage, right? When things don't go well, if you see something different or you're being impacted negatively, the first thing that you start to do is probably show it in your nonverbal communication. Right, yes. You give little signs that you don't disagree or you don't like it, right? Then you might give a, a, a joke or you mumble something to someone else. You try to find someone who agrees with you so you don't stand alone anymore. Yeah. And that gets worse and worse. You might start to lay some work. You start to maybe actually refuse some work until you really get into a situation of almost war where it's like really two different camps. And at that point, it can be so destructive and so negative that you need to wonder if that's a place where you want to be at all. Um, if it's your boss, it, it's a very difficult situation to be in and um, I, very challenging. And I wish I had a solution other than try to keep and having that conversation and make it clear that if psychological safety is not there, the whole team is suffering. As a leader, you, if, if you don't ensure that environment is there, you're not doing the job you need to do.
0: Not only is the team suffering, but the project that they may be all trying to f- focused on that they're all focused on trying to resolve or move forward may be suffering as well. I want to bring in another comment from Rob Dubay again. Uh, this one is really interesting. He says, this is fascinating. It reminds me of nurses who have to ask the surgeon whether they're working on the right body but it's a risk that the team recognizes as worth taking. So here's a pre preemptive intention that was decided upon by the nurses in advance. So this isn't just how they're reacting in the situation. This is a decision that they have actually addressed, talked about and set an intention going in saying the risk of this is so high that we need to challenge authority and speak our truth or, or raise questions or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, when there's a a doubt, because that doubt is not something that we can, uh, that we can afford to, to allow to move forward. So, uh, I really like this, Rob, thank you so much for this comment. This is brilliant.
1: And and to add to that, Rob, like you can understand, like it, the more high risk your your job is, the more psychological safety becomes a, a must. Really, imagine being a firefighter, being a doctor, and the psych- level of psychological safety is not there.
0: It's scary. It is. Um, Lucille again. She was asking about the name of the ship. Do you do you happen to have the name of the ship that that sunk? Yeah, that, it's uh, called, uh,
1: called El Faro. So F A R O. And it was in 2015.
0: Uh, F A R O. Yeah, in 2015.
1: E L F A R O.
0: Okay, L- I think we've got R-O. it. <laughs> All right, uh, and I, of course I'm in touch with uh, Lucille, so we can we can circle back on that one, uh, folks. We are here talking with Laura Jansen. We our topic for today creating psychological safety. I find this to be one of the most fascinating topics. Um, I love the fact that we've got somebody here who studies this, consults on this, works with clients in analyzing where this is coming up. Um, I know that intention is a huge part of this. Um, You know, somebody's intention not just in, in approaching a situation and figuring out uh, you know, what are we going to do if something really dramatic comes up, but also the intention behind some of the comments that are made. You you mentioned, uh, you know, Leadership as Language is that book. Uh, I think it's a fantastic resource for people, but the language that leaders are using, I think you pointed to this and saying, we need to be careful and not just on autopilot. When we're using our language, we need to make sure that the language that we're using is effective and that it's aimed in the right way. And that I believe, uh, has to do with not just language, but the intention that, that, uh, initiates that language as well.
1: Yeah. And you, you hit the nail on the head. It, it, it is not something we tend to naturally do. So, changing something about psychological safety will feel unnatural initially. It, it is learning new habits. The thing is, if you get to change slowly but surely, the language your team uses, it becomes part of your culture. New people coming, other people leaving. It's a way your, your team speaks. So even when people at one point don't know why they phrase it the way they do, that's just the way it goes in your team. But it will have the effect of people contributing. So it's, it's, uh, it's worth to fake it until you can make it.
0: Uh, Rob uh, had another comment here, uh, Rob Dubay He was talking about command and control cultures. Um, I'll actually put this up, although there's a bit of a typo on here, uh, you know, spell check these days, right? Um, so it's not wow.com. It's actually command and control cultures may be more sensitive to the benefits of psychological safety, perhaps. Um, a question from Rob. Uh, An answer from Laura?
1: So I I interpret that question as like environments where there's a really strong hierarchy. So I'm thinking about, for example, the military. And that's something you definitely see if it's very, very authoritative, there's a strong hierarchy. It becomes harder to say, oh, uh, I made a mistake or I really see that difference, sir. Um, unless you're being uh, really, really, really um, asked to contribute. And even then, if everything in your culture is set up in a very hierarchical, authoritative way, even if you say as the boss, I want to know what you're thinking, might not be enough if every other single message tells you not to.
0: Yeah, he uh, he actually had a, a subsequent comment, um, which he says, this is ironic Uh, which is perhaps ironic. I think that the point of this, which your example illustrates crystal clear, when you've got an organization that's high um, hierarchy, uh, strong command and control, uh, to use Rob's words, um, the military is a really good example of this. The police forces are another good example of this. Uh, And to use the police forces in particular, uh, what's their mandate? to protect and serve. How are people going to come forward with the mindset of protecting and serving when they themselves feel like they're being attacked or they're unsafe in their own, their own work environment? So uh, it's, I think the irony that Rob pointed out, it's not lost. As a matter of fact, I think that um, he's highlighting something that is of vital interest and uh, very high importance that needs to be addressed. And uh, people need to to move this topic much higher on their priority list. This really does need to be uh, right at the top, for sure.
1: Yeah, and it needs to be shifted by not just focusing. Like the military has a huge focus on leadership and leadership training. That's there's no shortage of that. It needs to, the the shift needs to be from leaders to teams. What do yeah. our teams need, and how do we get them to take the, the part in that leadership?
0: Uh, Laura, I know, um, we could probably keep rolling on this topic for a long time. I'm honestly feeling energized just by what it is that we're talking about. Um, I know that we talked about a few other tips. Um, did, are we missing anything that you wanted to get across today? Cause I don't want to leave this conversation without giving people some value that they can take away to become even better tomorrow.
1: I would just add two more things you can do that that we tend to do with uh, the teams that we work. First, we make psychological safety discussable. So what we do is uh, have a poll or have a questionnaire that they can do anon- anonymously to figure out: Do they feel safe? Is it hard for them? Because probably part of your group doesn't and part of your group does. So figure that one out. Like ask the question, make it discussable. And the second thing you can do is really set out with your team or teams some team norms about what happens if we disagree, right? How do we make decisions? Another thing you could look at is, uh, for example, deep democracy is a methodology for decision-making that's extremely inclusive and really deals with the minority in a very different way so that everybody feels heard and everybody can commit to the decision that's in the end made, still by majority, but it's made in a different way. And you can use this for your team norms. How do we go about differences in our team. You can make agreements about that.
0: So I'm going to go in reverse order because I'm going to forget the first one already, (laughs) (laughs) right? Uh, Setting up team norms, Right. Um, we've got that up on the screen. We've got the second one was, um, making psychological safety discussable, right? Yep. Ask questions. And the first one, I didn't write it down. So is this, this had to do with the language, uh, that we're using. Is that right? Yeah. How would you, yes. how would you, how would you tighten that one up or summarize that? Observe your team. I like that. Observe your team. I'm typing it as we're speaking and I'll put it up on the screen here so that we've got it. So observe your team, making it, um, discussable and setting up those team norms. I really, really like these three, three very tangible tips, three fantastic suggestions. Um, I think that this is, um, really good conversation. This is the kind of stuff that we need to be talking about. Um, I'm going to ask you one final question, Laura. I hope you don't mind. Um, I I ask this to every guest that comes onto the Inspiring Leaders podcast because that's really what we're trying to create here is we're trying to create a discussion with people who know what's going on on topics so that we can bring these examples to others so they can become better leaders, more inspiring leaders. My final question for you is this. Let's put some definitions from your perspective. What does inspiring leadership mean to you, Laura? What
1: does it mean to me? I um, I have to think of this moment and I'm sorry for using another example again, but um, the day I became Canadian, I'm not a, I was born in the Netherlands and um, I had to go to this ceremony. And for me, it was just a check on the box, a formality. And I walk in, and here comes this judge. And he really fit the part. I mean, if you had to pick an actor for a judge, he would be the one to pick. Um, big man, big voice, half-moon spectacles, piercing eyes, big voice, right. thundering through this, uh, through the room. And he gave a speech that I'll never forget. And he said, you are Canadian now. You are part of our great country. And that comes with a responsibility. You are going to make this country even better because you belong here, because who you are and where you come from. And honestly, I left that room being a Canadian. And I've put my best foot forward ever since as a Canadian. And I think if any leader can achieve that feeling, with every single person at every single level of, of their organization and their teams, then disguise the limit.
0: I love what you've communicated to us today. I really do. As a matter of fact, I'm not the only one. I'm just gonna put another comment up on the screen. Coming to us from Greg Hicks out there in uh, Summerside, New Brunswick. Thanks Laura and Terry for discussing the important topic that has a very personal meaning to me, very important to protect the psychological safety of the teams that you lead and your own personal mental health. Much appreciated. I couldn't sum it up any better than that. Love that comment. And I want to thank you so much for joining us, sharing your expertise, sharing your insights with us. You're helping all of us to become even better leaders. Laura, thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's really good to have you here.
1: It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: All right. I am going to also thank all of the people who've been tuning in to the inspiring leaders podcast today. There we have it. Another fantastic guest with great perspectives that we all need to become even more inspiring leaders. So I hope that you guys have enjoyed this. I hope that you got as much out of this conversation as I did. And if you did, make sure that you're hitting those like buttons and subscribe buttons because we don't want you to miss any of the amazing guests that we've got coming up lined up for you. And I want to tell you about one specific gentleman that we've got coming up on the show in the next little while. Talk about psychological safety. My goodness. Um, this is a guest who came, who had to move to Canada um, or had to move rather out of Damascus in Syria, where he lived to keep his himself and his family alive, so he, when his home and his business was bombed and destroyed, he moved out of there through necessity came to Canada. And, um, reestablished his family business. He is the founder and CEO of the company called Peace by Chocolate. Yes, Peace by Chocolate. He is not only the founder and CEO of this incredibly fast growing company, but he is also a, a global advocate for peace. So he's got this uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia-based company that's taken off. We're going to be talking to him about how he survived the bombings in Damascus and moved here to Canada where he restarted that family business and became an international advocate of peace, meeting the likes of people like Prime Minister Uh, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, U.S. President Barack Obama along the way, and many others. That is coming up on the Inspiring Leaders podcast on December the 1st, 2021. December the 1st, 2021, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Until that point in time, I want to wish everybody the absolute very best. I want everybody to stay safe out there and be well. I'm Terry Lepofsky from Ubiquity Executive Coaches. Take care and bye for now.